0: Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful. We are so grateful this morning for your work on our behalf in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that you sustain us by the word of your power this morning. That you uh, uphold us and that you clearly communicate truth about who you are to us. God, we see that in your word, Lord God, and we see it in the things that you give to us, like baptism. God, what a privilege and what an honor. What a joy it is to be called your people. God, and we recognize fully this morning, we recognize that there is no other way to be called a child of God other than through the person of Jesus Christ. Trusting Him for the forgiveness of our sins. God, and so this morning we do that afresh. God, we trust Jesus as the only one who can take away our sins. God, we recognize that we regularly attempt to justify ourselves. God, would we not do that? God, would we point wholeheartedly and with all that we are to the person of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us? God, we thank you. God, as we go to your word this morning, would you would You cause us to feast? Would we come to a table that's already set, prepared to, to take in all that you have given to us here? God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Would you take your Bible with me this morning and turn to John's Gospel? Uh, John chapter 5, we're going to take verse 30 to the end of the chapter this morning, and key on a few things here um, in, uh, in, this, in this text. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 30. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's still a stack back there on the table back there. I'd encourage you to pick one up so that you can see these words in front of you. I'm going to refer to them several times throughout our time together this morning. And so to have them in front of you is going to be a helpful, a helpful thing. Uh, John chapter 5 beginning in verse 30. I want to say one more thing about baptism before we move into this. Um, there is a there's a recognition sometimes when we witness baptisms in, a, in, a, in the in the congregational worship of the church, there is this understanding sometimes that this is well this is a thing that the church does, right? And that's absolutely correct. Um, but what I want to impress upon you this morning is that uh, this has been happening for thousands of years. That every time someone goes into the water and is, and is submerged and is immersed into the, the waters of baptism, they enter into something that has been going on for thousands of years. A baptism of repentance and then the baptism that, that results in or demonstrates or shows us new life in Christ. There's often a mistake in in the church that baptism is a saving effect. It is not a saving effect, but rather it is a an effect of obedience, where you uh, where you go into the water and you receive uh, and understand and know that God has commanded you to follow Jesus in all of all of your life. But this morning, re- recognize that for both David and Amber, they have joined millions upon millions of believers all over the globe that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and thus been joined to to him. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 30. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it this morning. Jesus says, uh, as recorded by John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father have given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have heard from his his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures. Grandfathers fought in World War II. Uh, my paternal grandfather, for the, for the, towards the end of the war, was in the Philippines, leading all the way up until the time of Japan's surrender. Uh, he told me the story once of how in the summer of 1945, uh, they left the Philippines and boarded a ship and were told they were headed to invade Japan. Now, the war is still raging at this point. This is the, what they were told was about to happen. My grandpa was very clear that he and the other men headed to Japan understood the events of D-Day in Europe. They would. There was a lot of fear of the storming the beach would result in many dying just like it did in Europe about a year earlier. And then on August 6, 1945, the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima in Japan. My grandpa said that the next day, the captain of the ship came over the PA system and reported to the men that the bomb had been dropped on Hiroshima and the city had been destroyed. Now, my grandpa has no context for this. He had knew nothing about what, what was just said. How could, he, he asked this question. He said this to me very clearly. He only shared the story one time. He said, how could a bomb destroy an entire city? He had no categories. No categories for that event. He said that he and his, his friends they resolved that the captain had misspoke, that he had said that in error, and so they continued to prepare themselves for the invasion. On August 9th of 1945, the second bomb was dropped on Nagasaki, and in the wee hours of the morning on August 10th, uh, the, the Japan w- was negotiating its terms of surrender. Now, you know that was a long, drawn-out process, but they were negotiating terms. And my grandpa said again, on August 10th, the captain spoke to the ship and told everyone that another bomb had been dropped destroying another entire city. And it wasn't until the, the men peacefully got off the ship on the shore in Japan that they fully believed what they had heard. Of course, again, there are many more details surrounding Japan's actual surrender. My, my grandpa had only received a brief snapshot, maybe 30 seconds of communication over the PA system on a ship but he received enough to indicate what had truly happened even though he wasn't quite sure how it all how it all worked in our text this morning in John chapter 5 Jesus is speaking to the Jews Jesus is speaking to the same men who accused him of breaking the Sabbath, as we've seen over the last few weeks, accused him of breaking the Sabbath when he healed the man at the pool uh, called Bethesda. Jesus was speaking to them, and they knew the details of the things that came before Jesus. These were learned men. They were educated men. When John talks about Jews, he's talking about the religious leadership in, in, uh, in Jesus' day. They were clear on what had been said and had been written. They knew the details of what John the Baptist had said prior to Jesus. They were clear in great detail, in fact, what Moses had wrote in the first five books of the Old Testament, which is called the Pentateuch, the law. But even though both of those, John very explicitly, John the Baptist very explicitly and Moses, uh, Moses point directly to Jesus These men, these religious leaders, refused to see it, and they refused to come to him. And just like in the story I just told my grandpa, couldn't fully understand how a single bomb could destroy an entire city, even though he heard the captain's voice over the PA system. So the Jews couldn't understand how all of their scriptures could find their fulfillment in the man that stood directly in front of them. And yet that's what Jesus claims here. He claims that all of the scriptures find all of their fulfillment in him. And so in this text this morning, there's a lot going on here, but in this text this morning, I want to point out just a couple of things. Uh, The first is that all of scripture points to Jesus. All of scripture points to Jesus. No matter where you are from Genesis to Revelation, all of scripture points to Jesus Christ and finds its ultimate fulfillment in him second thing I want you to see is that without regard for Jesus, you have no regard for God. Without regard for Jesus, we have no regard for God. And so all of Scripture contains hints and shadows and in some instances explicit statements about who Jesus Christ is. And so this morning the way we're going to talk about this is to think about it as unbreakable links in a chain. Unbreakable links in a chain. Two things here. Two unbreakable links I want you to see. The unbreakable link between Jesus and the scriptures that he bears witness to right here. And the unbreakable link between Jesus and love for God. So take those two things uh, in step here. The first one, the unbreakable link between Jesus and the scriptures. Now this, this if you've been with us over the course of the last year and our time in John's gospel, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. Even if you think all the way back to, we're coming up on a year in John's gospel um, and we're in just finishing chapter 5. But um, if you think all the way back to the very first verse in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and maybe you even want to flip there, just a few pages back in your Bible, you'll see... John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This out of the gate, John wants to communicate to us the unbreakable link between Jesus and the scriptures. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, was God. And then bounce down the page if you're looking at your Bible to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word takes on flesh. This is Jesus Christ that John is talking about. The word takes on flesh and is Jesus Christ. And needless to say, in John's gospel, we're driven time and time again to see the inseparable nature of Jesus' relation to the Scriptures. And as Christians... We should never think about, we should never talk about, we should never meddle with the idea that Jesus and the Scripture can be taken separately from one another. Now, this is different. Over the last couple hundred years, liberal theologians have have tried to do this, have tried to split Jesus, the historical Jesus, and parse him out uh, uh, against or in opposition to the Scriptures. So... Um, maybe you've heard of this, but there it was a movement uh, a couple hundred years ago that began called the Quest for the Historical Jesus. Um, and now I said liberal theologians, and if you heard liberal, I don't mean politically liberal or progressive. Liberal theology has been taking hold of of the church for the last, uh, like I said, a couple hundred years, beginning in the 19th and 20th century. So, and over time, liberal theology, uh, enlightenment thinking really began to shape thoughts about the Bible and Christianity as a whole. And the result was discrediting or an attempt to discredit a lot of things. Now, you need to be aware of this if you're like, ah, what does this matter? You need to be aware of this because our world is fundamentally shaped by this type of thinking. You can go out on the street today and have a conversation with someone who claims to be a Christian, who says that Jesus is not God, who says that the mirac- miracles that are recorded in Scripture never happened, that who say the resurrection is a hoax. There are people in our world and in our community who claim that all of those things are false and they're not real. They didn't actually historically happen. And they call themselves Christians this is a result of the liberal theology that has been uh has taken hold of the church for the last couple of centuries it's very applicable i mentioned miracles supernatural events the attempt to to uh to discredit those things ultimately what it winds up doing is undermining our belief in scripture when we read about something in Scripture that's supernatural, something that extends beyond just our understanding, or reasonable senses, something that we can sense, liberal theology says, therefore, that can't be true and starts cutting out big chunks of the text, starts cutting out big chunks of Scripture. Again, this has been going on for a long time. Thomas Jefferson himself, a deist, cut out big chunks of Scripture, mainly these different things after being affected by this Enlightenment liberal theology. If you turn on the History Channel this afternoon and you see a special with something to do with the Bible, you're likely watching liberal theology in action. (laughs) Instead of basing Christian belief and practice on the scriptures again, this this theology, this system bases beliefs on what is reasonable, what can be reasoned with the mind, and what can be sensed and experienced. Five senses, that's the long and short of it. So the quest for the historical Jesus has been ongoing, liberal theologians trying to answer questions about Jesus, who he is and what he really did. Jesus right here in John chapter five, you gotta cut this out of your Bible too if you wanna go down that path because Jesus right here in John chapter five tells us that is foolishness. We are told what we need to know about the person of Jesus Christ in scripture. We are told what we need to know who he is. We are told that Jesus is God. He's the word that took on flesh and dwelt among his creatures. And we know, we're told elsewhere, that God cannot deny himself. Look at verses 39 and verse 40 in in your Bible. Jesus says to the Jews, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have Life, this statement by Jesus, simply it just doesn't make any sense if Jesus and the scriptures are separable. He's the word who took on flesh and the word bears witness about him. All of it bears witness about Jesus Christ. Look at the end of the chapter, verses 46 and 47. He says, For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me, But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This this is a big claim. I don't want you to miss how heavy, how weighty this is. The Jewish leadership cared about what Moses wrote. They cared a lot about what Moses wrote and had it all memorized. If you go ahead and look at the first five books of your Bible, it's like a huge portion. All of this, committed to memory, this part right here. All of that, committed to memory. They knew it. They, they didn't not know it. They knew it very explicitly. They knew what the scripture said. They knew what Moses wrote. Those first five books commonly referred to as a law. And in their minds, of course we believe what Moses wrote. We, we know more about what Moses wrote than anything else in all of our lives. By claiming that Jesus is inseparable from the scriptures, though, he proves that they didn't believe what Moses wrote. In their minds, they thought, they they understood. But in reality, they missed the fulfillment that stood bodily in front of them. He was right there, right in front of them. If they truly believed what Moses wrote, they would have seen Jesus as the fulfillment of it they refused to see who jesus was and therefore could not in reality believe in moses's words we like black and white thinking i i think we like black and white thinking until it's applied to us we we like this type of go get him jesus take him out like jesus is going hard after the thing that they value most, right? Earlier he went after the Sabbath. Now he's going after the whole law. And he goes right after it. Not to do away with it, but to show that he's the one that fulfills it. And he goes right after them here. And, and I think when I read this, I'm like, yeah, get him, Jesus. Those Pharisees, are religious muckety-mucks, get out of the way, right? They're, they need to they need to have it told to them straight, like Jesus. We say things like, well, we believe the Bible. Right? We say we're we're warriors for objective truth. Truth that doesn't move or truth that stands, right? We we like the idea of objective truth that doesn't change, but it hurts a little bit when those things begin to be applied to us directly. Right? We like the black and white thinking, but we're always ready to to call ourselves the one who's the exception. Last week, we talked, again, a lot about the Sabbath because that's where Jesus aims right out of the gate in chapter five, when healing the man at at the pool called Bethesda on on the Sabbath. And it's a day of the week set aside for resting from vocational work, um, set aside for remembering the mighty works of God. And it's a full 24 hours. It's that practical. And it's a gift from Jesus Christ to us. And he's the one who gives rest. He says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, "I will give you rest." And part of God's plan for giving rest is setting aside a full twenty-four hours for rest from vocational work, accepting the the the, the works of necessity and mercy. Jesus enables us to rest because He is the fulfillment of the law, and the scriptures is our and the scriptures and is our full and final source of redemption. That, friends, is objective biblical truth. That doesn't change. It doesn't change for you, it doesn't change for me, it doesn't change on Thursday, it doesn't change on Sunday. It is objective biblical truth that is to be applied to our lives at every every juncture. And therefore, if we blow off the things that scripture says, if we blow off what Jesus says, you're blowing off Jesus. And that stings, but if you saw the scriptures clearly as being fulfilled in Jesus and inseparable from him, this would be evident. You know, before you say, yeah, whatever, that's fine. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Know that the conversation, especially as it relates to the Sabbath and Jesus, or even the whole law, is a picture of, and is one of the biggest personal challenges for me, personally. I love to work. I love to work. My wife can attest to this. I love to work. She reminded me of a conversation that we had when we were engaged, where we were just, I think it was probably in premarital counseling or something of that nature, where we were talking about what might be the biggest stumbling block for us in our our marriage. and and. Part of it is my inability to put my work down. Part of it is my inability to to take a day and to rest. I'm terrible at it. I am genuinely terrible at it and I need to repent. God has shown this clearly to me recently. And what I'm beginning to realize though, and as I'm pondering these things that Jesus says, especially in John chapter five, as I'm pondering these things, um, is it, what I'm realizing is that the way I respond to or fail to respond to scripture in my personal life is less about my interpretation of scripture, less about good methods and application and all of that stuff that I love so much. But it's actually a commentary on what I believe about Jesus. It's more a commentary on what I think about Jesus Christ. My failure to respond to these things isn't because because I think they're throwaways because I don't see Jesus as un- inseparably linked to Scripture. I see him as, as something over here and Scripture is over here and if I fail to do it, he'll forgive me and I'll be fine. Right? But what I miss is that Jesus gives us these things as good gifts. They're merciful gifts given to us. They're gracious. God's gracious gifts bestowed upon us us as his people, and we get to, we don't have to, we get to participate in them as a joy, as a delight. This is what the Pharisees, this is what the Jews missed here, right? They demanded, they laid up heavy burdens upon the people. Jesus calls the people to come to him, those who are heavy laden, and he gives them rest, and he outlines it practically for us in scripture. So the point is this, Jesus and the scriptures are inseparable. This is what the Jews refuse to see and wh- exactly what we can't hear. We cannot refuse to see. And that, that's the wording here. It's not, it's not some passive, like, I just missed it. I was ignorant of it, right? It's refuse. Jesus uses an active term to describe how people respond to the scriptures. Refuse to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all that comes before. So that's the first thing. We're going to see the unbreakable link between Jesus and the scriptures. And the second thing is the unbreakable link between Jesus and love for God. Look at verses 42 and 43. For I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. The Jews did not love God because they didn't receive Jesus. They did not receive Jesus. If you you have kids, you love your kids. If you love your kids, and if someone came to you and told you how much they love you, they're like, hey, you know what? I love you so much. You are my best friend. I enjoy spending time with you all the time. And then they turned around and started talking bad about your kids. Would you believe that they loved you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Jesus is God's unique son. Jesus came in the name of his father to do the same work that his father was doing. Jesus is equal to God, but the Jews here do not receive Jesus. Last week we learned in the middle of the chapter that they were persecuting Jesus and they were even seeking to kill Jesus. People often say that they love God and leave it at that. But a clear indicator, if that's true, is based on what they think about Jesus Christ. There's an inseparable link between Jesus Christ and love for God. It's a clear indicator. If you love God what based on what you think about Jesus Christ, you say, of course I love God. But if you ask them about Jesus Christ, you might get a very different answer. John Piper says it like this. He says, Any claim by a Jewish person or a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a spiritualist or an animist or a Christian, any claim to know God or honor God or love God while not receiving Christ as the Son of God and the crucified risen Savior is a false claim. If you do not receive Jesus as the Son of God sent into the world, and you claim to love God, you simply love a false God. You love one that you've made up and fashioned in your liking. It's it's pretty common for Christians to know pr- very little about Jesus and that what is communicated about him in the Gospels, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's communicated about Jesus throughout the rest of the New Testament. Many Christians maybe this is you make assumptions about Jesus and about who he really is and as a result stumble into false understandings about his nature. So the question that you have to ask yourself this week is do do I love do I love God? Is the love of God in me? Do I love God? Now, with any good question, you probably need to ask yourself a subset of questions to get a true answer. And what Jesus is saying here is these are the questions that you need to ask yourself if you claim to love God. Do you have a biblical understanding of Jesus? Do you believe and live according to Jesus' teaching? Have you submitted fully to Jesus' lordship of your life? And if your answer is no or not sure to any of those questions, I want to give you some good news. There's a lot of good news here. But first, let me give you the bad news that makes the good news good. Because without bad news, there is no good news. It's all just news. The bad news is this. You were created to love the Lord your God. This is explicit in Scripture. The first and greatest commandment Jesus communicates in Luke chapter 10 is that we would love the Lord our God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. But first, love the Lord your God. So you and I, you and I just simply by being men and women who are created in God's image, uh, are therefore uh, called to and created for the purpose of loving the Lord our God. Therefore, if you're not loving the Lord your God, you're living in sin and you're spiritually dead. And if you're dead in your sin, you're not God's child. You are by nature a child of wrath and destined for an eternity apart from him. But here's, here's the good news. The good news that we've seen clearly time and time again in John chapter or John chapter four, most explicitly, most recently, is that Jesus offers himself to miserable sinners. We saw it in John chapter five too, and when Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda, he calls him to repentance. He calls the man to acknowledge his sin and turn from it and find salvation in him. Jesus offers himself to miserable sinners. So when you're in the position of the one who's spiritually dead, living not according to what you were created to do living not according to or not loving the lord your god with all of your all of yourself know that jesus offers himself to miserable sinners he came and he died for miserable sinners that's all of us that's all of us by the way no one no exceptions in this room jesus was raised on the third day When he ascended into heaven after 40 days of walking on the earth and revealing himself to more than 500 people, when he ascended into heaven, he wasn't just like, hey, I'll be back in a bit. Good luck. See ya. Not at all. He gives us everything that we need. So if you're asking the question, do I love God? Then you begin to ask the questions, do I have a biblical understanding of Jesus? Guess what? Jesus gives you everything you need to have an understanding of his true nature. Do you believe and live according to Jesus' teachings? Guess what? We've got them. We've got them in all of scripture, being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Have you fully submitted to Jesus' lordship in your life? Guess what? You have the strength given to you in the Holy Spirit to do just that and to live in light of all that Jesus is and all that he says. Jesus Christ is knowable. God is knowable through the Bible. And if you're confused by it, God gives his spirit and makes it plain. God gives you, if you're in Christ, friends, if you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you have the Holy Spirit in you. He dwells. He lives. Making Jesus knowable through God's word. Search the scriptures. In them you will find Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation. From the first words to the last. So this morning in conclusion. we you come to the end of time. I want to I encourage you. I want to encourage you Jesus Christ and the scriptures are inseparable. If you want to to know Jesus, if you want to know God, if you want to know Jesus Christ his son who he sent in the world to die for miserable sinners. If you want to know that God who bestows and lavishes upon you great grace and mercy. I want to know that God. I hope you do too. I want to know that God and he is knowable and he's knowable through his word. Jesus Christ and the scriptures are inseparable. And to ignore your Bible is to ignore Jesus in your life. To ignore Jesus is to display that you simply don't love God. Jerome, the the fourth century church, church father said it like this. He said, ignorance of scriptures is ignorance of Christ. Friends, we cannot be ignorant of the God man who condescended from heaven to die in our place. Who is our king? Who's our captain? He's our Lord. He makes himself knowable. He didn't just go up and just leave you to yourself. He gives you everything that (laughs) you need. Since thank you, brother. Since Jesus Christ and the scriptures are inseparable, I want to give you two immediate applications. Two immediate applications. And these I hope that I hope you find these practical this morning. A practical way to know Jesus Christ. The first thing I want you to know is. Devote yourself afresh to God's word. It might have been a while since you spent any time in God's word. Um, And and the the idea here is that it's the last Sunday in August, right? Uh, School has started now. Um, You're regaining that routine. You're reestablishing that rhythm in your home that has kind of gone by the wayside over the summer. The question I want you to ask this week is how will you ensure that Scripture is a daily part of that routine? Because you're going to be running all over the place in a minute if you're not already. Right? Talked about it last week. The the thing that we're least likely to submit to Jesus' Lordship is our time. And so we need to take some practical, intentional steps to think about the way that we're going to ensure that scripture is a daily part of our routine. And so on the back table back there, I saw some of you grab these already. There's just a Bible reading plan. You read the whole, it's ambitious. You read the whole Bible from uh, Genesis to Revelation uh, between September, especially in the school year, from September to May. That's, That's ambitious, but I promise it's doable pick pick one of those up and if they're gone we'll print a, we'll put the link in the weekly email and, and we'll print more for next week but the the plan starts on September 6th so you've got a little bit of time to like prep in your mind and like prepare mentally but let me give you a couple of practical tips for finding success in a Bible reading plan. Because I know many of us get to January 1 and we make a resolution. We're like, boom, I'm going to read through the Bible in the year. And then on January 12th, you're like, I'm six days behind already and it's not happening for me. So let me give you some tips. Um, if you miss a day in a Bible reading plan, just read the next day that's listed. Don't worry about going back to it. Just read. The The goal is to get, the, to get Scripture in, like intake. In the plan that I've provided back there, there are regular catch-up days. Go and catch up on those days at a later time. Sunday is always an off day. It's six day a six-day-a-week plan. Sunday is always an off day. You're going to receive the word. It's going to be divided for you uh, here at church on Sunday. Hopefully, you'll have some family worship plan together um, on a Sunday. Um, or find friends and family members who, who will read Scripture with you. So there's going to be intake happening on your Sunday. Right, and so there's a six-day a week plan, and then regular catch-up days um, to 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 get catched up, caught up. You, yeah, don't. I'm the English major up here just said catch. So stay on course. If you miss a day, you will miss days. Just go on to the next day that's listed. The next thing I want to tell you: don't do this alone. Don't do it alone. Like, you're gonna, you will probably not get very far if you don't, if you do it alone, if you do it by yourself. (laughs) Don't do it alone. Find some friends, read together. In the past, I've sent this to our community group leaders, send it to our community group, send it out, say, hey, you know, we want to be reading scripture together as often as possible. Um, Small groups, Rebecca and I attempt to be at the same place at the same time as well. That way we can move through the readings and have regular conversation with people who we're regularly speaking to. It keeps me motivated, keep you motivated to know others are reading the same thing the same day as you are. And it it really generates a lot of healthy, good discussion. So step out and ask others to join you. I've asked your community group leaders to 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 do the same thing I've asked them to to engage you uh, with this and 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 ask if your community groups would participate together Friends I'm convinced I'm convinced based on what we've talked about this morning I'm convinced that things would uh, the culture of our church would just be and it would it's an I'm so grateful for what God has done over the course of the last six years here in Jamestown. But friends, if we would regularly, all of us, every single one of us in this room, would devote ourselves to regular time in God's Word and would be continually conversing about it, there would be an explosion of understanding, of, of, of mission. Everything that flows freely and directly out of God's Word would become part of our reality. And if you're like rolling your eyes like, oh, whatever, that doesn't really matter. God's Word is transformative. It will change you. Next thing, when you come to something you don't understand in a Bible reading plan, make a note and come back to it later. I get bogged down all the time. I like to know what it was like, what does that mean? Right? And then I spend too much time there. But what I find is I make a note of it, come back to it later, and I can take time to look it up rather than having to derail my reading time. And then you can ask others too. Ask others who, who are participating with you, reading along with you. So, What I want to say to you is a Bible reading plan, that one back there, pick it up. Please pick it up. Please pick it up. It'll it'll be an incredible time for you. Bible reading plan, a good way to saturate yourself in the scriptures, to know Jesus together with others and to grow in your love for God. Second application, I'll make this quick. The second application is when you're reading scripture, whether you choose to do a Bible reading plan or not, when you're reading scripture, always be asking yourself where you see Jesus no matter where you are in Scripture. Where is Jesus in this passage? Ask the Holy Spirit. Friends, again, you have the Holy Spirit. You're in Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you. you. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what how Jesus is seen in the passage. This may seem difficult, but let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. This last week, Juliet, our five-year-old, was listening to Rebecca read Psalm 1, 1-3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And Juliet said, I know the man, I know the blessed man, I know the one who's like a tree planted next to the streams of living water. It's Jesus. And she's right, she's five. And I don't say that like the objection immediately is going to be like, well, that's the pastor's kid, so of course. But but the I, I'm telling you, it's plain. It's there. It's in front of you to see it. I've been appointed teacher, discipler, and mentor of my children. But as an amazing gift, friends, you have been appointed the same thing. You've been granted teachers and disciplers and mentors. First, God and Jesus Christ have given you his Holy Spirit in order that you would know that he would guide your mind to understand the scriptures and stir up your love for the Lord your God. And you've been given a church. Don't section yourself up. Don't isolate yourself from the body. The others here at BCC are given to you, God's gift to you, to build you up to encourage you to understand how all of Scripture speaks of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have the unique privilege of doing this together. We have the unique privilege of doing this together. What the Jews didn't understand in John chapter 5 about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Scripture standing right before them, what the Jews didn't understand has been clearly revealed to us. So, Soak in the scripture to see and to know Jesus and the love for the Lord, your God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that in these moments, your Holy Spirit would compel us. Would compel us to see and know scripture. That we would clearly see that it has been given to us as a gift. Not as something to do begrudgingly, not as something to take on in little bits and pieces whenever we feel like it, but God, something to feast upon. God, would we not make the same mistakes and try to divide certain portions out of Scripture, take them separately from Jesus Christ, as little moral moral sayings or pithy statements about? how we should live. God, but would we see very clearly in every passage of scripture, Jesus Christ and how he fulfills them. God, would we not be people who think exclusively about what's going on around us, but God would seek to know you and apply your word to everything. God, would we be trained up by scripture? God, would we be trained up by one another so that we can effectively reach the men and women in our community and around the globe with the truth of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.